Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Dom. And I'm Simon. And on this episode, we are diving into Johnny Tsunami. Welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast, where it's always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, move upstairs, and settle in as tonight's movie for debate is Johnny Tsunami. We are really fortunate today in that we have a special guest on this episode of the podcast as we have Brandon Baker, who was in Johnny Tsunami, joining us, and he played young Johnny. So super excited to be able to meet him and get to talk to him about his experiences on this film. So before re-watching this film, Simon, what do you remember about Johnny Tsunami? Well, Dom, I actually had never seen Johnny Tsunami before. I had heard of it and knew that it was part of this subcategory of Disney Channel original movies that are beloved by many people, especially people of our sort of age that grew up with these movies. But it's just one that passed me by. So I'd seen the cover art for it, I'd heard about it, but I had just never seen it until this viewing. So uh, it was awesome to watch it now and to be able to talk to Brandon, who we'll speak to in a minute. But yeah, I, I had never seen it. And it's one that's been requested quite a lot on Instagram and on our social media. So great to have the opportunity to cover it. What about you, Dom? What do you remember about Johnny Tsunami? Well, this is actually an, another rarity in that neither of us had seen the film before. So I have also not seen the film before. Um, but from the feedback we were getting through the, the socials and through email telling us that we need to cover this film, it's obviously like a massive hit with people. So, you know, we had to do it. And this is a first. that The first time that we have, neither of us have actually had seen the film before re-watching it. So there we go. One to tick off the list. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well... Let's see what Brandon Baker had to say about it. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm glad you guys reached out. I mean, kind of going back to what we just talked about, like it's not as if I have so much going on right now that I can't <laughs> afford to like sit down and, and talk. Um, really cool that like I've done a few podcasts recently, but really cool that I'm doing a podcast. You know what is it you guys nine hours away from me eight hours away so mm -hmm. the kind of another example of like how global this thing is so you know we're, we're both in quarantine on the completely other sides of the world which is in its own fucked up way pretty cool <laughs> exactly exactly that well um just to give a little bit of context so uh dom and i grew up uh together in the 90s we went to school together etc so our whole podcast is just about reflecting on movies from the 90s that we grew up loving and that we uh you know sort of shared together and then reminiscing over them now from a 2020 perspective in, in yeah. it being hindsight and it being the year 2020 and uh, and just sort of sharing the love for that and then sort of sharing it with like our followers and listeners etc so uh, and then if we're able to sort of leverage that in being able to speak to an actual cast member, uh, that's just <laughs> awesome for us and uh, just great fun awesome, to, to find out about it. Yeah. Um, but this is a particularly interesting movie because neither I or Dom had actually seen it 
and, oh, really? until yesterday. Now that's correct. Oh, now <laughs> we'd both heard, uh, we'd both heard of it and known mm-hmm. about it, but it just seemed to sort of skip us over. And we've been getting so many requests from our listeners that this is the film that we have to cover. Um, wow, that was awesome. Yeah, and so I I watched it last night, and Dom watched it this afternoon, and uh, I, I loved it. Um, Dom, what was your first impression? Uh, yeah, the same. Uh, so it was quite nice to watch a film that had um, like a main character that was that was pretty nice all the way through. So even though he has that <laughs> almost sort of turmoil with his with his parents occasionally, well mainly the dad, um, he's actually yeah. just like the really nice kid all the way through, which you don't often get in films, especially nowadays. Good old nineties. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I saw a little bit of your guys' podcast, just you know, checking you guys out, and it's like, oh, they just did Fight Club and da da da. It's like, yeah, Johnny is not Tyler Durden, so yeah. <laughs> he might have become Tyler in later life. <laughs> right. That's actually on the third one. You find out this entire time he's a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Tsunami Fight Club. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> what. To, to talk a bit about about you, Brandon. So, can you tell us a bit like how you got into into acting? Because you were obviously yeah. you were Mowgli as well, uh, which is awesome. Like, how how did you did you start in commercials? Were you in like school plays? How did it all come to be? Yeah, um, it it kind of randomly happened. So, I actually grew up well. I grew up in Southern California, um, and my actual entry to it is my family we used to do polynesian dancing so my dad used to be a drummer my mom and my sister used to dance and i danced as well um and through that we met um a little girl and their parents were involved too but she happened to be an actress and just got a like a pretty small part in the movie my parents at that point asked me and my brother and sister and i like hey would you like to try this out like maybe yeah make a commercial book commercial to help pay for college and um, I was pretty agreeable. I was like an easygoing kid. I think it was just my personality had the perfect mixture for what it takes to be a kid actor. And it's in the sense that um, I was competitive. So uh, I had the drive to like do well in like an audition. Um, but I was really like, like laid back and um, I don't know, calm and responsible for like 11 year old. Um and then, so I would take these like acting lessons and happen to be good at it. Um, but then honestly, like just happen to get lucky. So yeah, I was like an easy on kid and I could work with adults and I happen to be good at acting, but you know, there was a role for an 11, 12 year old Mowgli at the time. And I happened to be, you know, an 11 year old Brown kid, which had I been, you know, a couple of years younger, a couple of years older, like that just would never have happened. And like, Oh, Brandon's a good actor, but, there wasn't that kind of big break moment and jungle book just happened to be um just that that popping off point um and once jungle book kind of hit then it was kind of off to the races i like started acting like through junior high through high school and yeah there's probably like a five or six year run there where i was working and going to school full-time and so once you had that first connection with disney is that what sort of helped to be on their radar for you know future roles yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, obviously if if you're a kid actor who's able to start a movie, 
um, then that really helps out, you know, the rest of the roles you go out for in terms of everyone feeling comfortable with like, okay, well, this kid's done it before we could give it to him again. Um, obviously you still have to audition. Obviously you still have to be right for the role. Um, and at the time there was like, like jungle book was through Walt Disney, kind of like the parents, true film Disney company and Disney channel at the time was, you know, kind of like the ugly step kid of, of Disney. Um, so the two weren't like properly related and even like the Disney channel movies weren't really a thing quite yet. Um, but definitely, definitely having worked with them before. Um, I think then I got a few like, um, like guest starring roles on like Disney channel, um, TV shows, things like that. And that kind of got me into that world. And then by the time Disney or by the time Johnny Tsunami came around, it was like, okay, I know the casting director. I know a bunch of executives here. I'm a 13 year old, you know, like brown yet again, surfer, snowboarder kid from California. This makes sense. Right. And uh, I mean, those Disney Channel movies are sort of prolific now and they're back in circulation with Disney Plus coming out. Yeah. That people are sort of like Dom and I are discovering it for the first time. In fact, Dom got Disney Plus just to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh nice you're welcome i'm sorry i don't really you know one of those <laughs> oh de definitely the the you welcome bit it's it's okay. worth a watch definitely worth a watch awesome right on well without getting into like the the specifics or, or anything like that we've had a few um cast members have been lucky to have a few people that have been in in movies uh that were in the 90s now and a lot of them have said that now that this is coming back around into circulation, they actually start getting like residual checks and, and more money when these streaming services are coming into, mm. into fruition mm -hmm. uh, without sort of telling us anything specifically. Is that something that you're now benefiting from? Like if Dom's signing up for Disney Plus, will you know a, a dollar here or there go to you from that? I am so rich. I am like <laughs> filthy rich now. Let me tell you. I got a message when Dom signed up this morning. Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't know, like all my friends have been asking me, even my parents are like, Hey, how does this work with the Disney plus thing? I don't know. Um, personally, like, yeah, I I'm not as like concerned about those things. Every time I do get a residual check, it's always like, Oh, this is awesome. This random residual of this thing that 20 years ago. Um, but I don't know how they do that. I mean, like that is kind of up to screen actors guild. Luckily they're because you know when i when i signed that contract whatever 20 years ago obviously the internet didn't even really exist in the way that it does now but neither did yeah netflix or disney plus so um that must be aggregated somehow and yeah i'm looking forward to to dom's specific check whenever it does come in but uh uh but yeah bringing the rewards right yeah i've i've probably seen it more just in relation to how many people have reached out so like via, you know, social media or things like that, where it's really either there's a new generation of people who are watching it. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it's crazy how much like how, the, the legs that this movie has had, because obviously, OK, Fight Club, right? Uh, going back to that previous example, like that's an amazing movie. That's a movie that I grew up with as well. Um, you know, and this Johnny Tsunami was, you know, no offense, but was a Disney Channel original movie, which you know, it isn't starring, you know, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, but for whatever reason, this movie really struck a chord and there was, you know, dozens of those movies, probably hundreds of those Disney Channel original movies at this point. 
Um, but for every reason, and we'll probably get into all those reasons why, but this one struck a chord to the point where people are hitting me up now. Yeah, I'm in quarantine. Um, I'm rewatching it again. I'm in my mid thirties and this is my favorite movie ever. Oh, I'm in quarantine. This is my favorite movie ever. I'm in my mid thirties. So my kids are now watching it. Now they love it. Um, so that, that's been like the coolest and honestly craziest part. Like you'd have told me that like 20, 20 years later, I would be talking to a couple of dudes from London about Johnny Tsunami. I'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> like that's just not going to happen. But here we are. I think it has a lot of relatability because kids, when kids are watching it, they want to be you, essentially. They are relating to your character and want to be able to snowboard and ski, and not ski, not ski. They want to be able to <laughs> snowboard and surf. Uh, and they, and you know, your character is awesome. Very cool. Even now, you know, in, in 2020, it still resonates as being cool. And then like you said, people get older and then... I, I was listening to this, um, it's called like After School Club. It's like these uh, YouTube videos that talk about great philosophers talking about life and then it does little doodles with it to sort of help mm-hmm. like my simple mind process it anyway. And it was saying about how when you're a kid, you have all of these things you love and all of this potential. And then as you go through life, you have to sacrifice a lot of yourself to go through training and whatever to become whatever job and whatever you're going to be on the other side. And then when mm. you get through that and then you your, your potential comes back because now you're making a success and you, you're doing this, that and the other. But then you have to rediscover your own inner child. And then I think so when you, people are in their 30s, they start getting to this point of, well, now I want to go back to the things that I loved when I was a kid mm. and sort of rediscover that and rediscover myself. So I think even people that don't have kids like Dom and I, we don't have kids, but we are our own big kids. Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and so now you can sort of still love these things, but you almost love it even more because you can see it on different levels. Like now you might uh, relate more to some of like the, the adult um, characters right. in it. So, I mean, I didn't, I'm obviously I'm you in the film in my own head, but that's just me. But the, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's got, it's got those legs to be able to keep going and keep going. And I'm sure that in another 20 years still, you'll still be, talking about this film the problem is that the question is is that a good thing or a bad thing like are you sick of talking about it at this point yeah yeah um randomly i'm having a great time on this podcast because like we're getting like some deep philosophy which is awesome (laughs) run-of-the-mill questions about da 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 um yeah you know it, it is such a trip i mean you go about making something like that I guess, you know, a piece of art or just being a part of something in general. And, and you do think at the time, like, oh, maybe this will, you know, like there's some sets that I've been on where there is an amazing culture and you're just like really working together and you're just loving what you're doing. And you're like, wow, this is going to we're going to produce some like really great work here. And the movie comes out and it's absolute shit. It's absolute garbage. <laughs> it's a horrible film. There's some other films, too, where, like, the culture is, like, eh, you know, and, like, things are off, and there's tension on the set, and things are a little chaotic, and the movie comes out, and there's actually, you know, surprisingly, uh, this this feeling of galvanization that makes, like, actually pretty good art. This is one of those cases where, while we were on the set, we kind of had a feeling that things were going to go well, not that that really is a predictor of anything, but in the moment, we are like, you know, this is going to be really cool, and this is going to be... You know, hopefully something that that 
really takes off or has legs or stands the test of time to some degree. Um, but yet again, with the 20 the year thing, like, I don't think anyone saw this coming. And yeah, you're right. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, Simon, like another 20 years, if it's still around, which hopefully it is, or, or hopefully not, just like as you were prompting, you know, um, yeah, that would just that would just blow my mind. But 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 cool. I mean, I, I've had people hit me up recently um, who yet again, who are reaching out and like, hey, we're watching the film. But like, you know, we grew up and we didn't see anybody who looked like us on screen. We're Filipino and being young, seeing someone like you, you know, up there in a movie. That was just really cool for us to have that as as a means of not only comparison, but like for fitting in in the world. Like, here's an example of who I can be or who I can become rather than just being, you know, a white guy or a black guy, you know, leading actor kind of thing. So things like that were like recently still like the coming out. It's like, holy shit. I had no idea that it was that at the time. I felt the same way. Like there was nobody on screen who looked like me. Um, I, I didn't really do anything about it, but really cool that I, you know, happened to be a part of it in that way. Nice. Great answer. It's, it's, it's one of the things that we, we tend to talk about a lot as well when we're taking films from we look at we look at these films from this day and age and from a 2020 perspective and we talk about race and we talk about that as a as a theme not not too deeply but you know our, our last podcast we did was um sister act and there was mm. a moment there was a moment in that where there was something that's said by maggie smith that could have been interpreted as like a racial issue mm -hmm. Um, yeah. which we, we'd both interpret it as as it wasn't, but it really could have been seen as that. And would that have made it into the film these days and stuff like that? So it's, mm -hmm. it's really nice to have someone who's in the film that felt that, that kind of responds to that and understands that and sees that now and, and gets the feedback from people saying, you know, it's great that you went and did that film and um, it, it's changed my perspective of, of film and stuff like that as well, because I've been able to see someone who's of the same race as me or a similar race or, or different you know as a lead role in in a film that's on the disney channel yeah wild wild that you know that i would be part of or the film would be part of helping with someone's identity you know yeah um i mean i myself am like multi-ethnic i am english spanish german hawaiian filipino chinese scottish irish so i am just like my grandparents were just like <laughs> fucking you know just around the globe <laughs> you know and boom like i've come out this like mutt but so inherent in me has been this like multi-ethnic multi-culturality um but i would go and audition for roles it'd be like oh well you're the love interest oh you're the best friend you never have parents um if you do have parents maybe you just i would have like a mom who would be hispanic you know and, and since we never see my dad, then he can kind of be whatever since he doesn't really look Mexican or he doesn't really look completely Indian or whatever. Um, there's like one or two roles where I was like adopted. Um, but this is the first one where I, I think is the first one where I had two parents who are of like multi, you know, like differing backgrounds at a white mom, a Japanese dad, and then a Chinese grandfather. And like, they didn't specify that, obviously, within the script specifically. But, you know, when I went to that first table read and met everyone, it's like, oh, wow, this is rad. Like, OK, like I actually get to be multi-ethnic and and have a have a diverse like cultural background, which, yeah, was like super rare at the time in terms of seeing that on film.
which which you know again is great to see one thing i i, I questioned and again from a 2020 perspective was mm-hmm. that your the, your two best friends in the film so johnny's two best mates eddie and jake um right at the beginning are both uh-huh. uh, you know caucasian male right. um uh, and just completely <laughs> different they're not from hawaii but you right. know, they they live in hawaii so it was, it was quite I think if you if you look at it with your like I said with twenty twenty hat on, it's oh this is a bit this is different. This this probably wouldn't happen now. Totally. I mean, there was like pretty good ethnic casting in terms of like my family, me, Sam, and then pretty much nobody else. Yet again, <laughs> now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way. Um, I guess it's probably good that my friends in the beginning were white because if they happen to be ethnic. And then later on, I go to the Sky School and all the evil people are white. Then it becomes perhaps even more racial. You know, <laughs> this is just an allegory that like white people suck, you know, in like 19 whatever. I mean, they're just uh, one step away from being German. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that Dom says that. As on every podcast episode, we try and link it somehow to Die Hard. So maybe that's <laughs> our link right there. nice Germans are are the baddies normally (laughs) yeah no doubt Hans Bobby I'm your white knight so could you tell us a bit about like the audition process like in terms of could could you can you could you surf can you could you snowboard were these things you learn or how did that all work yeah um so I grew up in Southern California um I grew up going to the beach quite a bit. Like we didn't live on the beach or anything like that, but the beach was about 20, 30 minutes away. So we'd go like, you know, just for like day trips on the weekend or go, you know, with the family up to the mountains. So yeah, I just kind of got into snowboard, snowboarding and surfing probably within, you know, two or three years right before I auditioned. Um, not that I'm pro or anything, but definitely was proficient at both. Um, so that really lends itself. I mean, I remember, um, you know, you try out for certain things and, you know, some scripts you're like, uh, you know, I'm trying really hard to make this role work. Like it doesn't, doesn't feel organic or really authentic. Other ones you're like, okay, this is me. I could really do it. And then there's a few where it's like, this is for me. Like, you know, yet again, going back to being competitive, um, perhaps a little egotistical as an 11 year old or 12 year old, but you know, there's certain ones where you're just like, oh, this is my role. Like, if I do everything that I that I set out to do in terms of like what I'm aiming on the audition, if I don't fuck it up, then like this is my role and I, I should kill this. Um, and this was one of them because it was like, oh, yeah, I have multi-ethnic parents. This is from a Hawaiian culture. I've grown up, you know, with Polynesian dancing. Like that's where I've come from. I know how to snowboard. I know how to surf. I'm the appropriate age. Um yeah, so that really lent itself. Um, I actually auditioned with a broken arm that I'd broken from snowboarding earlier that season. So I had a cast on. Luckily, the director was a, a former stunt guy. And so he wasn't turned off by it at all. He was kind of like into it. He's like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, don't even worry about it. You'll be fine. And blah, blah, blah. So like, um, I kind of had that badge of honor as well. Um, in terms of like the actual like casting audition process, yeah, I probably auditioned five, six, seven times. Um, Disney Channel knew who I was. Um, so I already had that relationship. Um, but, you know, it was like a pretty big movie and they wanted to do their their due diligence. And, um, you know, there was like other guys trying out for the role as well. And it was down to like me and three other, you know, two or three other guys. 
I knew one of them, but I looked around the room and was just like, you're a Mexican guy, you're 21, you know, and just like, I would be shocked if I don't get this, but you know, stranger things have happened and uh, luckily it did, it did work out, so. That's awesome. And uh, do you still uh, partake in snowboarding or surfing or any of that stuff now? Yeah, um, currently I'm, yeah, I've, I've gotten older and gotten my ass kicked by time. So my shoulders, <laughs> like I actually just was um, just in the ocean the other day. So I'm not surfing anymore because of, I just messed up my shoulder. So not currently, but I do live up in the mountains. I live up in Colorado. So still snowboarding and hopefully after surgery here in a little bit, surfing again soon. Awesome. So cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Dom? Yeah, I, I don't want to. I get. I tend to get excited on these podcasts and just try and hog it. So I'm very conscious that I need need to let Dom ask questions as well. <laughs> I'm an egotistical eleven year old at heart as well. So I, I picked up on that. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. <laughs> um, just so you guys know, the I like. I know you said 45 minutes. I've seen that your podcasts are really long. Um, I have plenty of time. So like it doesn't need to be within the 45 minutes, just FYI. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, we Thank you. we sometimes yeah, run a run a bit long because uh well, me and Dom could just talk for days about all kinds of this all kinds of things, but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. How what about if you don't mind me asking so did you you made a i read online you made a conscious decision to leave acting in like 2015 yeah. um was, was that difficult for you well was your heart maybe not in it or you just decided you wanted to pursue different things you'd had enough of it because you'd done it for an early age or how did that all work yeah totally that was that was super hard um and took took years to kind of figure out and kind of unpack um you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so simple as like this conscious decision, like I'm going to like finally leave or anything like that. There's a confluence of a number of things that led to that over time. Um, but yeah, you know, for a long time, I was really trying to, um, yeah, really figure out and, and, and understand for myself was acting something that I love doing or was it something that I just knew how to do? Um, and I think now that I have perspective and have gotten older, um, you know, I think, going through something like that being an actor as a kid uh you know especially starting my career pretty much around like 11 or 12 you know i was working 40 hours a week going to school full time um you know working with like adults you know commuting every day a couple hours that whole thing for i hit puberty you know for like i i was excited about boobs you know i'm like <laughs> now working 40 hours a week and so it that that became such a major part of my identity um before i was really too able to like like fashion one for myself now you don't know that at the time because i've only you know i'm conscious of, of living this life as i'm going through it and i'm like okay well this is cool like i understand i'm doing something weird but whatever it's kind of cool and working 40 hours a week like not a big deal and you know i was yet again pretty easy going about it but once i got older it was really hard to extricate myself from that um, idea or that idea of self um, just because not only is it what I knew, but it mean like I had so many cool experiences from it. Um, I made great money from it. I got to travel. Um, the people in my life helped kind of sustain that idea as well by, you know, 
grandmas and aunts and teachers. Everyone's like, oh, this is so cool. What a great thing that you're doing. Um, you know, girls liked it. So it was like kind of everyone around me. Yeah, my agent, manager included, <laughs> was really supporting me in this endeavor. I mean, even when I went to college, I was like, you know, I think I want to go into like sociology. Like, I think I'm interested in people more than I'm interested in film necessarily. And I was kind of asking for advice from different people in my life. And everyone was like, yeah, you should do film because that's what you're good at. That's your industry. If I could go back, I would have gone into sociology because that's actually what interested me. And, you know, great that I got to go to film school and I got to like round out that knowledge. But um, yet again, when I was younger, even in college, I was I was unable to kind of separate myself and figure out what I truly wanted. Um, now that I'm older, um, a, I had a really good long career, so I don't feel like I, I miss anything. Like I feel very proud of my career and stoked that I had it, stoked that I learned as much as I did, got as much, you know, gained as much as I did from it. And obviously still interacting with it now, currently on this podcast. So it's still very much a part of me. Um, but yeah, the further I get away from it, the more, um, the happier I am straight up. And, and the more I respect the people that do it. Like, you know, being in that industry is, it is a such a crazy industry. It's such a weird thing to do. Like uh, for a litany of reasons, but just the, just the job of being an actor, um, is crazy you're like literally a crazy person like nobody goes through their life and their job you know either playing different people or playing typically like you know in the juiciest of roles you're playing people who are in emotional turmoil for whatever reason and that was part of it for me you know like i was explaining this to someone the other day it's not as if i was you know um, Philip Seymour Hoffman or Marlon Brando as if I'm God's gift acting like I was a good actor but you know I'm not Daniel Day-Lewis you know it, it, there isn't like this a drive within me or this like natural talent when it comes to that and so it's not as if I didn't try to act and wanted to be an actor for a long time because I definitely gave it a, a good shot and and over time it was like it started to feel like work and I wasn't like really passionate into it uh, similarly though I think in order to be a good actor or to be as good of an actor as I wanted to be, I had to be like a little unhinged emotionally. Like it, it would have and did start affecting my ability to be a good person, a good brother, a good friend, a good boyfriend, uh, because I would have to be able to access rage or sadness or anger or shame or whatever. These emotions in a given notice, you know, if I was going to my acting class, you know, a couple of days a week or, obviously had a, had a crazy role. Like I'm just not one of those people that's able to compartmentalize in that way where I can like go through my life and be able to sob whenever I need to, and then be a sane human being in like the other facets. Like that is just a crazy job. Um, and I just, I like who I am and I like, I like being at peace and I like being a, you know, being balanced and I like, um, yeah, I like being happy. Um, and so quote unquote normal life or life in which I don't have to constantly access pain or trauma. Um, yeah, just, I, I just like it better. That makes total sense. And I mean, it must be confusing as well and hard to step away from at an early age uh, because being an actor must have put a lot, it puts the attention on you. And that's what kids we yeah. all crave when we're children is we love the attention so to and to feel totally. to feel special as well to be like the special one um but i will just say that i think that you 
were are a, a really good actor like it there's it's very easy to spot poor acting in children like i know that sounds mm. terrible because <laughs> yeah. because they it's true though yeah because they're kids but like we've done a few of these with um you know these disney channel movies and there's you know some that's like oh you can really see the cogs turning as you know the kids trying to <laughs> do they're doing their best i'm not trying to be critical but you're right. very natural and easy to watch, very watchable, and you can get lost in the film. It doesn't like take you out of it. So I, I think I think you had a great talent, and I, but I think it's also really commendable to step away and do what makes you feel happiest. And my final point is my mum is actually a sociology teacher. So if you ever want to get involved, mm. okay, we can do some. <laughs> okay, to hook you up with some distance learning or something. Nice. Yeah. I was wait. Yeah, I was well, waiting for the mention of of that. <laughs> I knew that would come <laughs> at some point. <laughs> well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. Um, I'm right. I'm right there with you with like yeah, the kid actors and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think the thing that I loved about acting, like at its core, was was the human connection thing. Um, so when you are in a really good scene or you're watching a really good scene, just like you're saying, it's like palpable when people are really present and they're you know really in that moment with those emotions um there's an electricity that you can pick up on as the viewer but there's also electricity with the two people in like in the scene in the room um and that is like you know that i think that was the driving force or at least one of the major driving forces um for me as an actor but then that obviously lends itself to sociology or things of that nature i mean I, i'm just I have, I have an interest and a curiosity in humans that was fulfilled for that, you know, brief amount of time uh, as an actor. Um, but yeah, it still exists. I mean, yet again, being on this podcast, like interacting with you two talking about this is, is fascinating, interesting, for sure. From, from, what, from what we've learned about you on like Wikipedia and stuff like that, and, and looking into you and a, a little bit of research before we did the podcast, we mm -hmm. kind of found out that you officiate at weddings. Is that? Yeah. The current company you work for put on weddings and stuff like that and you kind of officiate them and stuff like that so from a sociology point of view you bring, <laughs> you bring people together and that's kind of your your role totally and yeah that, that it makes sense you know I, I didn't grow up thinking like hey one day i want to be an actor that didn't honestly wasn't even my my thought process it was like i wanted to be like an artist or a hockey player this is like what i wanted <laughs> to be when i was a kid um, the Anaheim Ducks. You could have played for yeah. that. Yeah. No, I saw that you guys actually did Mighty Ducks. That was like <laughs> probably my favorite movie growing up. Um, <laughs> the fact that I never did a hockey movie. That was like the one thing that I always wanted to do. Um, but then, yeah, like I didn't also didn't grow up thinking like, oh, I want to be a wedding officiant someday. Um, but, you know, after living in L.A. for a number of years, you know, doing that commute around all those people, you know, it's like it's such it's such a populized uh, state and city in L.A. <clears throat> um you know but then obviously acting as well really lent itself to yeah i work with like a destination elopement company so people want to get married up in the mountains out here in, in colorado within nature um a i i love you know the the beauty and the expanse of being outside and having that be kind of my office um it requires you know some people out here like i've had some friends who acquired about it but they're like man that involves a lot of driving um, but my commute now, like having done that LA commute where I'm driving 20 miles, it's taking an hour and a half of madness of traffic. Now I drive an hour out here, like 
through the mountain like roads like through snowy peaks and it's like oh yeah this is cake i'm i'm super into this um but then yeah obviously it's the human connection part like i really get to i get to be myself i'm like facilitating ceremony obviously but i'm not i mean obviously i'm playing a part to some extent but you know i'm reading kind of a script that i've written and yet again i'm getting to be a part of this connection between these two people facilitating these two, these two people um but then obviously yeah i'm right up there at the metaphorical altar with them so i get to be a part of it as well so that's really just turned out to be um yeah th this crazy confluence of of things that that makes sense you know that, that i would love it that i would be good at it and um that the other couples would like it too. I mean, like there's certain people who have no idea who I am. Um, certain people who figure it out, like, as we're like talking leading up to the big day. And there's certain people who find out on the day of, and I show up and they happen to be a Disney channel fan and a Johnny Tsunami fan and they lose their shit. And it's just <laughs> the best. It's, it's hilarious. I was marrying a couple the other day. And so I like, like out in like the woods we're off this like hiking trail we're in front of this you know like incredible view of this like lake and the mountains um i'm up there at the you know yet again the altar with the groom the groomsmen the bridesmaids everyone's walked in we're waiting for the bride to walk down <clears throat> and one of the um groomsmen like nudges another guy nudges the guy next to him the best man and finally nudges the groom and the groom reaches over to me he's like are you are you fucking johnny tsunami <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah i am and he goes no fucking way <laughs> in the middle in the middle of his wedding his bride is walking down the aisle they start to lose their shit all of the all of the groomsmen start to lose the shit the family obviously who's watching sees them reacting and they're like what's going on like like who is he and they're like pointing and the people are getting their phones out and like hey can we take a picture and i'm like okay everyone let's like calm down we have a bride who's currently walking down the aisle we'll definitely get to that do the rest of the wedding and then like all the pictures after but yeah it was just a super funny moment yeah. excellent that's amazing <laughs> yeah that bride her her one special moment <laughs> will always be reminded my god i know seriously she had no idea who i was so she's like what let's we we're taking a picture with the officiant like okay i guess <laughs> well simon's already married i'm not so if my if my girlfriend does eventually want to marry me then i'll, I'll come to colorado <laughs> yeah dude totally you can, yeah, uh, if you're if you're available of course i'm sure you've got of, a lot of, of course man yeah no <laughs> dom i hope i'm invited of course okay okay 100%, <laughs> mighty okay. 90s wedding <laughs> nice well that's that's awesome i mean with all of that being said if if Disney reached out and said they wanted to make it a trilogy, you know, maybe they wanted you to play like the dad to the next generation of the Johnny Tsunami saga or, or something like that. Right. Would, would you be tempted? Like, would you have the conversation if it was, you know, for something specific like that? Yeah, totally. I, I, I would definitely be interested in terms of, you know, at least just sussing out what it is, how it is sort of thing. Um, yeah, I left... LA and California about three years ago now. And so maybe three years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, sorry, like I'm done. But um, yeah, recently, so I don't know, have you guys watched Tiger King, the documentary on Netflix? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Tiger King came out. I watched it just like with you guys, everybody like in quarantine. Watch the entire series with my girlfriend. You know, you're on the phone with your loved ones during this quarantine. You're like, well, they're like, what should I watch? You know, your grandma. I'm like, grandma, you should watch Tiger King. It's fucking crazy. 
watch all the thing. Then they start doing these interviews afterwards with like the cast members and Saf, the one guy who has the one arm got bit off by the zookeeper. Yeah. They're like, who should play you in the movie? And he's like, oh, the kid from Johnny Tsunami, Brandon Baker should play me in the movie. I saw that. I saw that. It was on on, on the Netflix bit. They did the reunion. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so everyone's been hitting me up. Like, would you do it? Would you consider it? Da 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 da. And for that one, like, yeah, totally. Because that's just so off the wall, like left field. That would just seem like <laughs> one of those life things. Like, you have to fucking do that. Like, you're gonna be in a Tiger King movie with Nicolas Cage now. They haven't reached out to me, and I don't. I don't think they will. But it's made me think about that. <clears throat> in regards to Johnny Tsunami, it is. That's one of those other things where. You know, I've done quite a bit of things, but that is the one thing that is like, yet again, has just lasted for these 20 years and has really been, um, you know, a part of my identity. Even, you know, trying to unlearn and deconstruct, you know, the acting thing from a younger age, perhaps I was like looking to distance myself from it, you know, at, at different points in my life. I know who I am now. I'm, I'm old enough to where I understand the complexities of that, but definitely like, like love Johnny Tsunami and what my career has given me, but specifically that role, like um, that role has meant so many things to people yet again, it was really close to who I am or have always been. Um, and it's probably the best like film that I've ever been a part of. Like I've done a lot of things and not a lot of them have been great. Some of them have been okay, but Johnny Tsunami is the one film when people are like, Hey, I want to check your stuff out. I'm like, yeah, that's a good movie. Like you should watch Johnny Tsunami. I would watch it if I wasn't a part of it. Um, and then, yeah, by extension, if they're to ask me to come back and be a part of it, yeah, I would definitely be, be open to doing that. Um, you know, you want to work with like people that, that you enjoy and you want to work with, you know, roles that are like meaningful. And I think those two things would be, um, accomplished in that. Awesome. And would, uh, I, I can't, I forgot, I lost my question because I was so engrossed in what you were saying. <laughs> I think, yeah, it was, I think, it was good, right? Like, what, I, I don't even remember what I said, but it was, I was like, wow, this is bullshit and it sounded great. I was into what, it. <laughs> what, one thing we often, we often petition for when we're talking to um, actors that have been in the films is, is uh, an extra sequel. So there's some films that uh, have always had rumors of sequels and things like that and yeah. films that have never had any mention of sequels so we did uh, little giants with um marcus toji who was in the film nice and we talked about doing uh raising enough money to do a sequel and and stuff <laughs> and do all sorts of things like that so this this could be the start of of johnny tsunami 3 we could we could get that going that sounds great man i'm yeah i'm into it uh <laughs> with that specifically like there's been so many like potential johnny tsunami iterations um, like there was a sequel, I think eight years later, it was like called Johnny Kapala back on board, um, which was a good movie. But, it, you know, eight years is a long time between sequels. And we were planning on doing a sequel sooner than that. But then the tsunamis hit Southeast Asia. And so that's what really put the brakes. It was like, oh, we can't do this straight up just out of out of consideration for the term tsunami and what everybody like went through. Um which is why the second one doesn't even have tsunami in the actual title. Um, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if they use it in the film. But as part nonetheless, of, as part of my deep, so we do something called the deep dive where we look into the film uh, and and get as yeah. much information as possible. And uh, it was my turn to do it for for Johnny Tsunami. And as part uh, of that, 
actually found out that in uh, some parts of Southeastern Asia, the, the film is banned because of the, the use of the oh, word shit. tsunami. So the film's not wow. actually allowed to be played because of, because of the word. Crazy. Which I totally get, you know, I haven't lived through anything, you know, as terrifying as that. So, yeah, understandably so. I mean, there was talks of like it becoming a TV show because yet again, even at the time, that movie really just galvanized, had, had this, you know, pardon the pun, but just this wave, you know, <laughs> of popularity. Um, and so because of that, there was like, oh, man, well, this might be a TV show and there might be a couple sequels and by the time the second one came out, we were all just older in different parts of our lives. It felt like we were trying to grasp something that maybe had passed by. Um, but that's another reason, like, if there were to be uh, another sequel, um, there's still a kind of what if, you know, portion to that. And like, in at least my mind's eye. Yeah, it's that touch of political correctness as well, isn't it? Of totally. What, what what name do we do we attach to this? So, yeah, you're, yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, jo- Jonathan Big Wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, Disney Plus are bringing back the the Mighty Ducks as a TV show. Uh, are they really? Yeah, in the same way that oh. like uh, like Cobra Kai with the Karate Kid. Sure. Um, yeah. But but this time the the ducks are actually the antagonists of the story, and it's about fantastic. Yeah, and so I hope we've spoken about this quite a few times because when we covered the Mighty Ducks, etc., uh, that we're hoping that it's done, you know, at a high level like how Cobra Kai is. Um, mm. Which Cobra Kai is a few things here. Firstly, the Mighty Ducks. You were saying that you're a, a fan of that, which is awesome. It's one of my favourites as a kid. But when we were talking to Matt Doherty, who played Averman in the Mighty Ducks, he was saying mm-hmm. that those films actually transcended the the sport of hockey in America in terms of uh, kids were like rollerblading on you know on, on tarmac and concrete because they're influenced by the movie and more people were getting involved in hockey and Dom and I actually here in England were trying to play hockey ice hockey on grass like. Just... <laughs> Because we love, because we loved it. Um, but I imagine, by the same token, that you must have influenced so many kids um, into snowboarding and into surfing through Johnny Tsunami. Like, is that something that you've been told by fans that you know they got into those sports because of the inspiration of the movie? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, going back real quick, if they do a Cobra Kai remake of Johnny Tsunami. Um, it should just be this, you know, this kind of like horror thriller tale of white people being scared of ethnic, you know, ethnic kids, you know. <laughs> so it's just like all the brown people and like counterculture people are just invading, you know, they're like they're they're white suburbia, you know, which I think would be great, great television. Do it, Disney. Do it. Um, <laughs> Sounds it's got Dis- Disney written all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of like the actual like sport yeah totally people like hit me up all the time you're the reason i snowboard you're the reason i took up surfing thank you so much i have this connection with yeah i I, i'm a soul surfer now and i wouldn't have been had it not been for that movie um yeah back in, in in that time like there was no like snowboarding was still really really new i mean it was around but i'd not i don't think i'd ever seen a snowboarding movie even surfing was still countercultural in a way it's not nearly as as prominent or popular as it is now i think um shoot what was the name of 
there was like a girl surfer movie that came out kind of the same time. Was it Blue Crush? Blue Crush, yeah. Blue yeah. Crush, yeah. So it's kind of in in that wave, but yet again, to have a film that was somehow linking surfing and snowboarding together, that just didn't exist. Um, which, yeah, yet again, as I was you know auditioning for the film, I was like, oh, this is rad. This this is actually cool. Like yet again, I I would watch this movie had I not been a part of it. Um, yeah, and you know, <laughs> as I stated earlier, like I am not pro by any means i am like someone who enjoys snowboarding enjoys surfing but yeah the fact that i've been you know that i'm able to be a part of that movement or that culture in any way um like kind of through through friends of friends a few years ago um i became friends with sean white who's like the red tomato the pro snowboarder like probably the greatest snowboarder of all time and sean knew who i was and that was like whoa this is crazy this is absolutely nuts he's like yeah i'm a big fan and da, 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 da. so yeah that's been cool that's awesome very because that that's the only snowboarder name well that's one of two and one's johnny tsunami so that's the only other. <laughs> oh the... boy <laughs> so me and sean white <laughs> that's that's it and i and i yeah so that that's crazy i mean thinking about some of this stuff now um and the movie's still fresh in my mind from watching it just last night but um so i'm actually in a in an interracial relationship uh or marriage awesome. and and it's not really a big deal here in the uk i mean i mean sure. I, I probably is somewhere in the uk but we live you know just outside london so we're it's very it's very cosmopolitan but when we've been over into america it not we haven't ever had any you know any trouble or anything but there it is a more segregated like it's it's strange that in in america there is a lot more uh people from ethnic minorities like as in a higher population but it seems right. to be more segregated so yeah. it is it is cool that they did that in johnny tsunami at you know in what 1999 where yeah. you know you i mean you see it more now obviously in in hollywood movies but uh yeah it is maybe before its time totally and and they didn't make it a part of the story which is even more ahead of its time that it was just like okay this is just a kid this is a family and that's it we're not making it this story about how love can transcend you know races or anything of that nature um yeah it is interesting i so i grew up in southern california which is like a major melting pot um and you're right in some places it's really normalized and obviously for me growing up it was super normalized just because that's who i was who i am and so what i came from um but then yeah in in other in other places it is i think because there's such a melting pot of identities and culture here that sometimes people are really trying hard to hold on to that identity for for whatever reason you know um i think yeah, I, I mean, tribalism is such a weird thing. We're getting to like a deeper philosophical conversation. But yeah, odd that you're dropped off onto this planet with like, you know, zero instructions and raised by other people who are dropped on this planet who know nothing with zero instructions. And and yet you're so adherent to, I guess, the food and the language and, and the culture that, you're, that you've grown up in. But you just happen to be dropping to a Hispanic family or a Muslim family or a black family or a white family. And 
And that's it. It's just the luck of the draw. And then everything after that is everything you want to be or choose to be or can be. Um, so for someone like me who's multi-ethnic, it's, it's fascinating to see people that want to hold on to that in such a real way that, that it's so important to their identity to uh, adhere to that. Um, I understand that, I guess, if I was 100%, you know, uh, religious or ethnically um, <laughs> built, <laughs> fashioned, that that would perhaps be, uh, you know, more important. But yeah, I think, you know, in, in this like ever globalized society where we have to interact with one another, um, I just think more is better. I think, I think being exposed to different thought patterns, different ideologies, yeah, food and language um, just gives you more options with which to grow and learn and, and define this world. And, and everyone, like every culture and every person just has <clears throat> an opportunity to bring something specific and, and, and special to the table and whatever we're talking about, whether that's a relationship or a work environment or problem solving in general. Um, so I'm a major proponent of it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not, um, conservative in, in that way i'm definitely like liberal and like hey we we live on this globe together we need to like figure out how to like work together rather than you know blaming china for the outbreak of coronavirus you know <laughs> god damn it <laughs> yeah you stop pointing fingers at the neighbor right across the right across the street because they're going to be here you asshat it sounds like you're uh, you're not a Trump supporter. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm in fact not a Trump supporter. <laughs> just a just a stab in the dark there. <laughs> yeah, like I I backpacked through Europe um, in like my early twenties, and that was around the time that that Bush was president, and so that was um, you know a lot of people did not like Bush um, for a litany of reasons. I didn't. I was young enough to where I didn't really like maybe didn't care about politics enough, but I just knew that like if I'm traveling and I would say like, Oh, I'm, you know, where are you from? Well, I'm from America. That would have a completely different context because everyone would want to talk about Bush and talk shit on Bush. And so I adopted pretty quickly. Oh, Hey, where are you from? I'm from California. And everyone's like, Oh, Hollywood and Disneyland um, for the same reason. But yeah, I, I can only imagine like traveling internationally with like, you know, an American flag on your backpack right now is just like, Damn it! I just, I'm so ashamed that that guy's my my president. Well, it's um yeah, America is such is I I'm, I'm a massive fan of America, not not Trump, but of uh, America, <laughs> yeah. of American culture, etc. And uh, but the it is funny how each state is like its own country almost in terms of they're all so different um i was really fortunate when i was younger i used to come and work in america in summer camps uh when i was mm. in my sort of late teenage years and it was up in seattle uh and then we would sort of travel oh. a little bit afterwards and sort of the like pacific northwest is so different to then you get to california it's so different but it's the whole vibe of the west coast is so different to the vibe of the east coast or to the central it's totally. you know, yeah it's um and then it's crazy to have one person be the you know spokesperson or controller for all of all of it you know yeah i i don't know if it's a good system um <clears throat> it's fascinating um to get that many people and that many cultures kind of on the same page um 
really problematic a lot of times. But yet again, if you view it through the lens of, you know, we have all of these different backgrounds and all of these opinions and we're figuring out how to collectively be together and united, yet again, ideally, theoretically, is a beautiful thing. Obviously, right now, that's we're so divisive, yeah, amongst the different parts of, of the country, um, which is tough and honestly, like, surprising for me as an American. Like, I admittedly find myself in, in bubbles of, like, you know, liberal, democratic. I Like, I wish that in this upcoming presidential presidential election that there was a Republican candidate that I would be like, oh man, this is tough. Like, who am I going to choose from? Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case for a number of years now. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, I mean, like, again, traveling through Europe and I think the United States is bigger than all of Europe and seeing how diverse, you know, countries are over there, you know, um, situated relatively close together is similar to the States, but having, yeah, a Donald Trump running all of Europe would just be insanity. That would be <laughs> chaos. I mean, that's not to say that we have a, uh, a um, any better system here because it's all completely flawed here as well. It's just, uh, I guess there is... I mean, our Prime Minister isn't really much to go by, to be fair. He's, yeah. pretty, he's, he's almost on the same level as, as Trump. Know. <laughs> similar hairdos and whatnot yeah yeah, yeah. they look like yeah. lost long brothers don't they like <laughs> totally seriously so, so like, johnny johnny tsunami a... three johnny tsunami three is, is going to be about um johnny wants to vote for hillary <laughs> and and the uh, the antagonists are, are not fans of that idea. I think that's that's maybe that's the the direction we need to go for. Yeah, he lives in the deep south of America. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the not, third yeah. one is just a really a hard turn into a political thriller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Surfing his way to justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting, um, but I. I'm scared that we're going to get chastised for not not focusing on Johnny Tsunami. Not that, you know, we care because we just, again, we're just enjoying the conversation. But Totally, same. Do you have any uh, particular, like, favourite memories from filming? Like, as in, was there any particular, like, stunts or set pieces that, you know, was really cool to do? Mm, yeah. Um, it's a cool bracelet, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, not really a jewellery guy, but... <clears throat> I, um, there's one piece of jewelry that I, that I rock. Uh, I sat in a, um, in a medicine ceremony with, um, a tribe from South America. Um, and yeah, they, and they make these actually in the middle of the ceremony and it just always resonate with me. Um, the Kofan tribe from Colombia. But, um, yeah, in terms of like memories and like stunts and set pieces, nothing specifically except for the first thing that comes to mind was in between the takes. So we would be like snowboarding down the mountain, you know, like the camera rigged up and we'd be like in, in the background doing stuff, which was a ton of fun. Um, but they wouldn't want us to wait to get on the chairlift to go back up again. And so they just have snowmobiles with ropes attached to them. And you would basically kind of like wakeboarding, you would snowboard, but like up the mountain. So they'd be hauling you up the mountain as you're hanging on. And so you'd be just riding the mountain in the opposite direction, which that was just the most fun thing ever. Like it <laughs> never even occurred to me. So like once like the camera stopped rolling, then it was like me and Lee, you know, he'd have a, a, a snowmobile, I'd have a snowmobile. And then we would just basically be next to each other carving up the mountain, which was just the most fun. That's awesome. And yeah, am, am I right in thinking that 
you you had the two filming locations so you actually filmed in hawaii and then filmed all yeah. of those sequences in one go and then went over mm. and did the rest is that right exactly yep that's cool but i i have that you filmed in uh utah not actually in vermont yes yeah correct in in utah <laughs> vermont vermont has has like tall hills yeah utah <laughs> actually has mountains yeah there's something that we often ask as well. So um, I'm somewhat kind of of a, a prop collector. Is it? I have a couple props and things that Sweet. I've collected. It's, cool. it's very nerdy, but I, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, why not? Uh, but the yeah. did, was there any like props or anything that you kept for yourself from the set of Johnny Tsunami? Yeah, I have the original snowboard that I used on it. Um, I think I have a surfboard as well. Um, at my, my folks house they they have um like a framed I, I believe like hawaiian shirts and um I'm trying to think it's like one other thing in there maybe oh they have uh, like a beanie um like sunglasses and a hawaiian shirt framed like up at their place um so yeah i have a few mementos like that um like a few other things random around here i think i've i think i have the the red volcom um snowboard jacket I think nice. I still have that, but yeah. That's cool. Awesome. Very cool. We uh, we did, on our Cool Runnings episode, you, you've seen Cool Runnings, right? Hell yeah. The, uh, the guy that played Sanka, he still has his lucky egg. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was like a rubber egg. Yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Um, we actually, we asked, when we were doing that episode, we had um, Raul D. Lewis, who was on it with us, and he said that he took nothing. He didn't know that was a thing. We even asked if he took like some of the dodgy sweaters that he was wearing, stuff like that. And he said, no, didn't take anything, have nothing. Uh, which is really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the opposite. Like pretty much every time I was on the set of any like meaning, if I had any clout, I would be constantly like telling the prop guy like, hey, set this one aside for me, set this one aside for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Did you stay in contact with any of the like cast members or are you still in contact with any, any of them? Yeah, not, not a ton. Um, going back to Seattle, which is one of the, my favorite places in all of the U S what a gorgeous place, amazing food, multicultural, and like in, it's basically nestled in a rainforest. So I love that place. Um, but Yuji Okamoto, who played my dad, he actually lives up there. Um, and me and him are still in contact. He owns like two Hawaiian restaurants up there. He's got like three daughters. We always joke that I am like their their older stepbrother kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's always been like he's such he's such a good like asshole dad in the movie. Like, <laughs> people people really don't like him, and people are always like, "Wow, you keep in contact with that guy? That guy's such a dick." Um, but he's honestly like one of my best friends, if not my best friend on the set. So that me and him have always been super cool. We would play like fantasy football over the years, like just from a distance and things like that. So that relationship is, has always been, and still is like, you know, matters a lot to me. He feels like family. Um, Carrie Tagawa, who played my grandfather, me and him have kept in touch throughout the years. He lives in Hawaii when I was still living in California. We like it to get, get together when he was like back in town for auditions, things like that. Um, we don't talk nearly as much as Eugene and I do, but me and him are like, are, are awesome. I mean, me and him are inextricably linked as well. You know, he is like the actual Johnny Tsunami. I'm sure he gets the, hee hee, bono, like all the time. <laughs> um, 
uh, me and Lee Thompson Young, RIP, before he passed away, um, me and him were, were not great friends, but he was actually going to school at USC at the same time I was going to UC Santa Barbara. Um, and those two schools were like, you know, pretty much like party schools. And so we kind of had like a, a lot of people from USC would come to Santa Barbara and vice versa to party. And, and so I would go there and I'd go hang out with him and go to his parties and, and vice versa. Um, and then we would like randomly see each other in LA and it was always like good to see each other. It wasn't like we, you know, we're like best friends or anything like that, but we'd see each other enough to like, you know, catch up and things of that nature. Um, people must've freaked out seeing you two together at a party. Yeah, to- totally. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that was, yeah, definitely a thing. Yeah, d- for sure. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I mean, he passed away, um, you know, from like mental illness, I had no idea at the time that he was going through that. It's just kind of hard to know in general, you know, I've lost a few people in my life of to things of that sort. Um, but yeah, then other than that, yeah, Kirsten Storms and I kept in contact for a little bit, but she kind of went a different path. Um, she was just like very much a career actress and, and I don't know. And I wasn't, I wasn't that guy. I wasn't that kid. So we kind of lost, lost touch in that way. Uh, that's awesome to hear. I mean, just to say on uh, Lee Thompson Young, he uh, obviously that's super sad, and he gave totally. a really really great performance in the movie as well. And I, as soon as he came on, I recognised him from from other things as well. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was really talented, um, and he really was. Obviously, it's really sad regardless. Um, but but yeah, he was uh, one of my favourite aspects of the movie, and yours and his relationship you had great chemistry and it seemed very natural. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We had a great time together on set. Um, he was a year older than me. So he kind of felt like my cool older cousin, mm-hmm. you know, who would like teach me about things I didn't know, teach me about, like how to talk to girls. Um, I remember he was trying to get me to freestyle rap, which I was horrible at. Oh, that's, that's funny. Dom freestyle raps really well. Go don't, on, don't, go on, Dom. don't do that to me. <laughs> don't, you, do, you do something like this uh, every time. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like, you know, I had this cool, older, you know, like older black brother who was trying to teach me how to like rap. And I just, it was just the coolest thing for me. I just wanted to impress him or just wanted to like look cool in his eyes. Um, which I'm the oldest in my own family. I have two younger siblings. So to have kind of an older brother in that way was just, you know, at the pivotal age of like 13, 14, as we're like trying to pick up on like random extras on the set, you know, (laughs) that was just like a great time to like have, yeah, like, you know, a a buddy with me on that, on that journey. A great wingman. Totally. I mean, and to be fair, I was the wingman. Like he was the guy going up talking to him, and I was like, "Cool, whatever you don't want, whatever's left over, I'll take." <laughs> nice. Very, very cool. Very cool. Well, Dom, tell us some of the trivia you uh, you dug up. Okay, so as we've learned from Disney original movies before, they they don't give away a lot of information. Um, mm. So hopefully, Brandon, you'll be able to fill in some of the blanks for us, which would be fantastic. Um, sure, if, sure. You, if you can't, you can't, because we have to remember that you were 13, 14 at the time. So right. you might not, not exactly know how much, you know, Disney sp- spent on making the movie and stuff like that. So right. yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, but the film was released in 1999. So June, the, uh, July the 24th, I have. Uh, so Simon and myself would have just turned 12. Mm. Um, 
as we're both July babies as well. It's directed by Steve Williams, as you alluded to before. He was a, a stunt performer, uh, mm. actor and director. Uh, and he was actually a stuntman on Lethal Weapon 2. Um, oh, right. Nice. It was, it, it, and other big films as well. So he did Apocalypse Now, Blues Brothers, right. um, just like loads loads of like stunt performing stuff, which was pretty cool. Um, which hopefully he brought a little bit of that into your into your world of of Johnny Tsunami, (laughs) which would be cool. (laughs) Um, From, from you know, being a sort of early teenager with a director like that, who's obviously worked in the industry for quite a long time, how how is that relationship? How does that, how did that work at the time? Yeah, he was great. He's one of my favorite directors I ever worked with Um, because he was really laid back, um, very personable, um, very available to like the actors um but also he just created a vibe on set that was just really relaxed like i think i mean the casting in the movie was obviously great so there's kind of nobody who had you know any pivotal role who couldn't like handle their own or bring it in a, in a good way um and everyone got along <clears throat> but because I, I i don't know if it's necessarily just his inherent personality it's probably a little bit of both but also being a stunt stunt director that he just kind of had this like cavalier attitude like whatever it'll work out you know like <laughs> shit's gonna happen and like that's okay because that's life and shit does happen but um but we'll figure it out and yeah that was super helpful because it wasn't you never picked up on his you know nerves or anything of that nature like oh well we're behind in shooting schedule today or you know we forgot to pick up that shot i i think as a stunt guy you're just kind of like throwing shit against the wall and, and figuring it out um, and then his background was, you know, a lot of the stunt guys become um, stunt coordinator, stunt coordinator becomes, you know, the B or C camera operator. And they kind of send the guys out there like, hey, we need a car to explode and they got to jump out of it. We're gonna be working on set with all of these actors and the scenes, but we just need you to blow up a car. Yeah. And then when it actually came to so stunt wise, like that really lent itself. But even in like the actual scenes, it just felt a lot more like playful, like it wasn't like he had a specific idea for how a scene should go. There was, don't get me wrong, there's a couple scenes like when I'm fighting with my parents or something like that where it's kind of important to hit a specific, you know, note. Um, but other than that, he was very much like, cool, we got a great one. And like, I love what you did there. Now let's just try this. Or, you know, like, how about you just do something completely different? Um, and sometimes on sets that feels like political in a way or that someone is... I'm going to say playing mind games with you, but they're being nice in the sense of like, we don't really like what you're doing, you know, and I need to tell you somehow to do it differently without you being upset about it. Um, it never felt that way with him. It, it always just felt like I could always talk to him and um, like we would sit down and like have lunch together. You know, and there's certain sets where, you know, you're not sitting with the cast and the crew because either because of your ego or because they're, they're not your friends or because you're really busy and you're like, you know, really nervous about being organized. And this set wasn't like that. It was like, it was just one big family. Um, I don't know if he had directed a, I think that was the biggest movie he had directed to that point. Um, so I think he was just super stoked to be there with that opportunity and, you know, and that not even humility, but just something who was like someone who was grateful and stoked to be there. Like really just lent itself to, the overall culture of set. Um, I think, you know, in on a set, typically it's kind of up to the director and the, the top actors to dictate what the culture is. Um, 
and Carrie Tagawa was the same way. So it was like, yeah, I started in the movie and yeah, Steve Boyan is the director, but Carrie Tagawa is the guy who has the most clout, who everyone knows, who's kind of doing the movie a favor by being in it. Like Carrie Tagawa didn't need to be in this movie. Um, he had been like, you know, the evil villain in Mortal Kombat. So I think he was stoked to be like a likable grandfather. Um, <laughs> but you could, he also brought that to the set too. Like he would hang out with us. Um, I remember he, him. So Yuji Akimoto, my dad, he was in Karate Kid 2 um, as the villain. And so he was a big martial arts guy. Kiritagawa was a big martial arts guy. When we were in Utah um, filming, Kerry was actually training Carl Malone, the NBA basketball player, um, like showing him like, like fighting styles and stuff like that. And so me and Lee Thompson Young were like, oh, this is so rad. You know, we're yet again, 13 year old boys like, yeah, teach us how to fight. Like, tell us about like all your fight stories. And so he would like, you know, actually teach us like if you get into a fight, him and Yuji would both like, if you get into a fight, you should do this first, you should do that. And and so the fact that everyone was like interacting in that way, and especially Carrie really like brought a culture and a togetherness on the actual filming that, um, yeah, no, there was like really, it's kind of devoid of ego, which is awesome. I was going to actually say that there are actually some sort of comparisons you can draw to the Karate Kid in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> Daniel has moved to a different town and he's having, you know, different friends, etc. And you've got like Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai. So you've got like, yeah. you know, the, the two uh, schools in Johnny Tsunami and uh, and then, you know, learning a new sport or learning a new martial art. And then it, you know, coming to this crescendo of, you know, at the end of the movie, having the, the showdown, etc. I was thinking through it that, yeah, there's some Karate Kid comparisons you could draw here. Wow. That's great. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Daniel Russo is like this like kind of Guido Italian. So from a different culture, um, he, he like kind of steals the guy's girl. Yeah. Which, yeah. Kirsten Storms would be Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I haven't thought about that either. Yeah, I, I only I watched the 1984, the original Karate Kid, for the first time ever in quarantine, and I loved it so much. Oh, nice. I've watched it twice already. Watched all of them and watched all of Cobra Kai. It is outstanding. Wow. Have you have you right. seen Have nice. you seen Cobra Kai? I haven't I haven't seen Cobra Kai. I've heard a lot about it. So I'm actually, while I'm not an actor anymore, or like you know, like acting currently, um, I still love film. So growing up, it, like I never didn't didn't specifically want to be an actor. Didn't thought that actual distinct thought, but I just always like loved movies. Um, so I still listen to a lot of like film podcasts and TV podcasts. So I've heard a lot about Cobra Kai just in terms of yeah the new, unique way that they're telling the story and, and things of that nature. Do you do you guys actually listen? Do you um, listen to the rewatchables? Like nah. has that got it? Okay, got it. It's like a film podcast. I was wondering if like that was. An impetus for you guys to to start this one up but i'm kind of derailing the conversation no 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 it's good is <laughs> is you'd recommend it because i love podcasts obviously like listening to them not not like our own podcast i love our own podcast too but i don't spend all my time <laughs> listening to ourselves but uh is is that a good one because i'm sure our listeners would be interested in you know similar movie podcasts yeah i mean the the one that i mean and there are a ton just like you're you saying and i've been on a few recently but re- the rewatchables is the film podcast um one of the first that i've, I've listened to where they just rewatch old movies and like have categories give out awards things of that nature sometimes they'll get 
um, directors and actors, not from the film, but from other films to talk about like, oh, you know, like I'm not in this film, but this is the film that really meant a lot to me. Um, but yeah, that's a great podcast. Um, and then there's one other, I think it's called, yeesh, is it maybe like the big show? Um, and that one is an actual like just film analysis. You're not really rewatching films, but you're just talking about like history of films. So for me is still a film nerd. I, I love both of those. So that's cool. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. I, I find it hard now to listen to movie podcasts if it's on films that we've covered because I don't like almost don't want to listen to it because I don't want it to cloud my own vision of the movie if me and Dom are going to cover it and talk about it but um, I see totally. it, the thing the difference I'd say of our podcast compared to others is that Dom and I are by no means sort of experts we're just fans but mm-hmm. what yeah. We, what we have in common, I guess, is we just love talking about it. We, we we come at it from a complete fan perspective rather than sort of a technical aspect. Though, right. it does nicely segue to my next point because yeah. because Dom does have some technical knowledge um, and he always tries to link... This. Again, you do this every time. <laughs> well, well and, and he's a rapper, you know? Well, yeah. he he raps the pays the, to pay the bills, you know. But his passion right. lies in film. But got it. <laughs> but uh, but Dom on every episode, completely, completely. <laughs> but, but Dom on every episode of the podcast, I try and connect it to Die Hard, and Dom always tries to connect the movie to either Star Trek or to Shakespeare. Now mm. I actually could see the connection to Shakespeare here, Dom, because it's a little bit of. Uh, you know, the, the Montagues and the Capulets in Romeo and Juliet. Ah, yeah, totally. How about excellent, that, Dom? Excellent connection. Well done. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually very impressed. <laughs> Dom, now you need to finish it off and link it to Star Trek. Well, I can actually do that because um, Kerry Tagawa was in an episode of The Next Generation in 1989, I believe. So there uh, there's, there's our link already. So Beautiful. Which, which links him to LeVar Burton, which links him to Smart House. So there you what, go. What, what makes it even better is that Johnny Tsunami was the ninth Disney Channel original movie. Uh-huh. The eighth Disney Channel original movie was Smart House. Excellent. Bra- Brandon, have you, have you seen Smart House? I, I'm sure I have. Smart House is the one with um, like Peggy Bundy is like the house, right? That's, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That that one's special to us because that was the first episode that we recorded um, because uh-huh. Dom hadn't seen it and uh, <laughs> and uh, I knew it'd be funny to cover it, so we just covered it. Just could we do half of these episodes is just me and Dom going through it, and then the other half we have sort of guests on. But that was our impetus, so we try to uh, always try and link it back to Smart House some way. Nice. What well, most here, of our I'll, listeners I'll... Will, will understand is that Simon basically watched the Disney Channel for his entire childhood mm-hmm. and, and is okay. now making making me relive that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yet again, I'm sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I've, I've got this opportunity to, uh, to relive a bit of childhood, so it's great. Nice. Good. In my I, I, childhood. <laughs> I will um, <clears throat> try to link up with you guys on this. So I have to link it to Die Hard. I think I can link it to Die Hard. Um, so in Die Hard, um, what is the name of the actor who plays the black cop 
who's also in like Family Matters. Reginald Val Johnson, yeah. Yes, and one of the last films that I did was with um, a really low budget film with a bunch of buddies called The Formula. Yet again, you know, probably won't be in, you know, I, I doubt that like anyone will be doing a film podcast on that film. Had a great time on the film, but did have two scenes with Reginald, uh, Reginald Johnson, um, which I grew up with Family Matters and grew up with Die Hard. And that was one of those like, ah, yes, like I can cross this off of like the coolest things I've done in my life. So there's, there's a little bit of Die Hard right there. Excellent. That's so cool. That's very cool. It's a good six degrees of Kevin Bacon situation mm-hmm. there to get. Yeah, that's an easy, easy connection. And, and and Brandon, please don't, you know, don't dare us because we will cover that movie on our podcast. Like, don't try us. <laughs> please don't do that to yourselves. Do not do that to the greater public at large. This is a public service announcement. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, what else you got there, Dom? So we like to play um a little game with guessing the imdb rating um so i'll go with simon first because oh, brandon wow. you may oh well from that reaction you you probably don't know but i've no um, idea we'll go with simon so simon if you guess first what do you think the imdb rating is um so it's, it's a difficult one because it's remember hard. simon we have a cast member on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> Nine point five. Uh, I I I I would rate it high. I mean, something that I'll say at the end of the podcast, Brandon, Dom, and I give our own judgments, our own uh, <clears throat> subjective, like nostalgic judgment, and then our objective judgments. So you will hear our actual judgments. Um, Brad, I look forward to it. But uh, I would say IMDb. I reckon it sits at like between a six and a seven. I'm gonna say like six point six point four. Okay, um, and Brandon, do you want to have a go? Uh, this is tough um, because I don't really know. So IMDb is one to ten. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's voted on by uh, fans, so it's not by critics or anything. Yeah. And so, like, Godfather is like a nine point something, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. To get to give you uh, to give you some a sort of uh, parameter. Um, I think the highest on there, yeah, like Godfather, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, they're all at like the 9.5s, whatever. And then you've got things like Smart House, I think it's probably like a six. The Karate Kid's probably like an eight. Uh, what's something super okay. garbage? <laughs> all right. Well, the, initially, my, my first thought was just like 7.2. Um, thank you for giving me like the, like, I think we're. I think Johnny Snow is a better movie than Smart House. Just shots fired. They they can fucking fucking come find me, bro. But yeah, I don't think we're karate kids. So seven point two. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it seven point two. Okay, so the uh, I absolutely agree that this is better than Smart House. I've had to endure Smart House for the last ten, you, 11 episodes. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad we can move on to Johnny Tsunami because look, <laughs> burn it, burn it, Simon. ridiculous. I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a copy of Johnny Tsunami and have that in the background every time. Do. I'm a fan of Johnny Tsunami. Hey, I invited Brandon. I'm a smart on... house boy. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is six point three. So Simon does actually win on this one, unfortunately. Simon, very nice. That's... But that's not what I would give it. Okay, I don't. Please don't tarnish me with the same IMDb brush. <laughs> There's some lunatics out there that put stuff on IMDb. They get it all wrong. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all wrong. Brings ratings <laughs> down. It's stupid. I mean, we got our first one star rating on iTunes, which is just outrageous, to be honest. Brutal. <laughs> you know, it really did hurt. It was like a, a stab in the heart. Someone, someone one starred us on iTunes. They didn't write a review. They didn't tell us why. Like, I want to write to this person and be like, "What can we do right. to make this up to you? Like, what did we do?" Yeah, and they were just like, "No, nah, like, go, go fuck yourself." Have some of that. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Okay. The the next the next little guessing game is we guess the Rotten Tomatoes percentage. So this is nice. zero to one hundred percent. So we'll go with we'll go with Brandon first on this one. So what what do you think your Rotten Tomatoes percentage is? Now, what, okay, one thing so, we have learned from doing this podcast is that um, IMDb Rotten Tomatoes is higher. It's typically it's so random. Honestly, you oh. can have a really really good film, but Rotten Tomatoes percentage is, is just absolutely at the bottom of of the scale and then you can have a film that's like trashy that's super up there so we don't really understand we understand imdb a lot more than we understand rotten tomatoes because they just seem to make it up got it so okay. just just shout out a number and you'll probably be right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean my understanding of it is i feel like the imdbs are a little bit more considered like that feels like a better barometer and and that's why I'm hoping, and I think that <clears throat> Rotten Tomatoes would be higher. Not that I really care, but um, <sighs> yeah, let's go with, uh, yeah, screw it. I'm going to be optimistic. Let's go with 77. Okay. That's going to be wrong. I already, I already know that's going to be wrong, but fair enough. Don't, don't worry about right or wrong. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, what uh, are you thinking? Uh, it is so hard with Rotten Tomatoes because it is, it's unpredictable. I mean, they, Rotten Tomatoes gave the first Mighty Ducks movie at 9%. 9. No way. This is what, what? we mean by Rotten Tomatoes being so out of whack with the rest shit. of the world. It's got to be way less than seventy-seven. Now I want to retract. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say sixty-five. Okay, you want to know the the actual figure? Yes, sixty-three. Hey, whoa! So absolutely so smashes Mighty Ducks out the water. But that's like uh, I don't know what the occurrence is, but a six point three and a sixty-three. Like, how often does that happen? Yeah. Oh, good call. Not often. Not often. So that's crazy. Uh, I think that's that's really good. Uh, Rotten's might score. So well done. Right, nice. And it also means Johnny Tsunami is like six times as good as the Mighty Ducks. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, I will remember that statistic. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait, Dom. Let's flip the tables then. So we're doing a lot of this out of order. But Dom, what would you give? as as your rating of johnny tsunami well we can't we usually do it subjectively and objectively but we can't our subjective is more on you know what did it mean to us as a kid but in this isolated sure. example where we don't have that memory so we just give you know your overall rating okay uh i think i would give it probably a 7.5 i can't I'm, I'm a i'm a fan of the film now now i've seen it because uh, when you first suggested it as a film that we're going to do and we're going to cover, I was like, okay, I'm not not familiar with the film. As soon as I saw um, the the image of the cover, Brandon on the, on the front, I actually thought, oh no, I recognise, I recognise this, I recognise oh, cool. um, that face is is familiar, um, and and definitely seen seen him and stuff before, and then watched the film, and I actually was thinking earlier, 
I, I need to watch the sequel now. I need to know what happens next. So, <laughs> I, I need to know what happened eight years later. So, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 7.5 is, is where I, I would sit with it. Nice. I, I, would, I would agree as well. I'd say 7.5. I think if I had watched it as a kid, um, it, would, it, would even, it would be even higher because I know it's the sort of film that I know would resonate mm. with me and would be on this shelf where I keep putting DVDs from um, <laughs> because it's the sort of film that, that I would love. And like I said, I, I, I loved it now. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, we'd be saying the same, you know, if you weren't here. Um, like I, I love movies like this and, you know, touch wood eventually when uh, my wife and I create smaller Simons, then they will be, <laughs> they will know all about Johnny Tsunami and, uh, and then I'll play them this podcast and be like, hey, someone give us a five star rating, child of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think this is like a classic and, and the, the, the fact that it's like a, a Dis- it sits in this Disney Channel, you know, TV movie sort of genre with like smart house etc etc and i think this is known as being you know the cream of the crop and like dom said that it's got really memorable cover art like i'm sure those posters must exist and you know i think it's a i think it's awesome i think you're a part of something really special and talking about it to you now and you know all about the the other parts that maybe didn't really consider about what it's highlighting in terms of, you know, it not being an all white cast, you know, filmed in Hawaii, etc. Yeah. It makes it even more important. So uh yeah, I think it's awesome. What what would you rate it, Brandon? Um yeah, thank you guys for the seven point five. That's that's awesome. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it for sure. It'd be kind of awkward if we're on this interview right now and you're like, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. It's it's all right. Um uh two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I'd probably give it something similar. Um, like, obviously, it's like kind of hard for me to be um, objective, but I think I, I think I would like this movie if I wasn't in it. I honestly, like, truly believe that. Um, and as a kid, just the snowboarding, surfing thing that would have just hooked me for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't at all think that it is, you know, in the pantheon of of greatest film art achievements ever. You know, by any means. Um, but but viewed within like the lens of like yeah this is like you know a kids movie a Disney kids movie um, you know where there's not a ton at stake um, but yeah like the family dynamics super cool I mean there's a lot of like parent kid stuff going on in a real way like you know there isn't a whole lot of you know it's it stays pretty true um, to the actuality that's occurring you know like compared to like Smart House where this is crazy existential weird shit it's like no this is just a, a film about like you know relationships um so because of that I, I do really like it as well i'd probably give it yeah like for me i'd give it like probably a seven and then i think objectively i'd give it like yeah 7.5 um just because i know personally how much that movie means to so many other people and that meaning um ended up just transcending way more than I thought it would. So um, clearly it like resonated and struck a chord. That's awesome. Uh, and we, we've asked our other guests this one previously um, and we've had a mixture of responses. What, <laughs> what, how many times would you say over your lifetime you have watched Johnny Tsunami? Ah, interesting. Um, 
less than 20. Okay, that's interesting. So we've had we've had some people that have been like we had Rule D Lewis who plays Junior Bevel in Cool Runnings. Um mm-hmm. and he said he'd reckoned he'd watched Cool Runnings about three times. And then we had um, Marcus Toji that was in The Little Giant saying he reckons he's watched it probably 20 times, something like that. Um, and sure. you know, if he goes to parties, people put it on and because they want to watch it with him and stuff like that. Right. I mean, if I was in a movie and I was Johnny Tsunami, I would have probably watched... I would be giving myself residual checks because I'd just keep watching it every day. <laughs> Do, do people try and watch Johnny Tsunami with you to try and like tick it off of a list to be like, oh, I watched it, you know, with Brandon or anything like that? Definitely. So like if, if the number is like, let's say 13, um, the previous probably eight or nine times have been with, yeah, friends or girlfriends or my girlfriend's parents, you know, people who like <laughs> really want to like have never seen it, but we want to watch it with you. And I'm like, that's like the last thing that I want do you guys can definitely do that and i'll go grab a beer and a burger and then we can talk about it when we're done but yeah i don't want to sit here and watch my 13 year old self but well maybe now if someone says you know oh what do you um you know ask you questions about you can just say hey just go to the mighty90s.com and listen to this podcast straight up yeah (laughs) totally i probably will thank you for helping me with this (laughs) Thank you. A, a couple more, like just random ones, I guess. Like, yeah. do you have any, uh, like, uh, like crazy people, like celebrities that you met through, you know, being a being a child actor? Like, did you ever randomly meet a Sylvester Stallone on set somewhere or something crazy like that? Yeah. Um, so I worked with I worked on a movie called Punks, um, and I worked with Patrick Renna, who is in the Sandlot okay he was kind of like the the fat kid the catcher yeah yeah um, and then on that same film i worked with jessica alba who oh, wow. we played like cousins and she was like three years older than me i think i was like 13 at the time and she was just like embodied all of like woman beauty femininity to that point <laughs> um so she became like the uh, like the the measuring stick for every woman i met for like the next 10 years which <laughs> that's that's was, not healthy that's not yeah, healthy. totally yeah it was not it was not healthy um what a way to a set yourself a challenge people, so. <laughs> um but no before i actually really booked anything i met arnold schwarzenegger at um at a uh, planet hollywood and this was like literally I'm, I'm just auditioning still i maybe had done like a few educational videos and so i'm really f- not not fanboying at this point because i never was really like that but totally like sat down with my mom i think we were like waiting for an audition we've driven up to la and we see arnold at the corner of, of our eye my mom's like hey look it's arnold I'm like, whoa that's that's super cool and she's like why don't you go ask him for his autograph um and i go up to him and he's sitting at his table with his wife and a couple other people and I asked him like, hey, you know, Arnold, I'm a big fan. Can I get an autograph? And he looks at me and he like looks around to see if anyone else is seeing. And then he signs it from me and he gives it back. Doesn't say anything to me. And I remember thinking like, oh man, that was kind of a bummer. Like he didn't engage with me. And he was kind of like, I don't know, kind of like shooed me away in a way. And it really kind of, you know, affected my view of him to a degree. And that's at the time, that's what I thought. And then as I got older and then like Johnny Tsunami happened and these other things happened, I was like, oh, I totally get where he's coming from. He's just nervous that like I was going to create this horde and I was interrupting him in the middle of his meal. Um, But that was like one of the first times. And like once 
you know, I, like the film gained a little bit more popularity, you know, I would be out at like restaurants and things like that would happen. People would come up. Luckily, I had that experience to remember like, oh, my ability, like my ability to shape this person's a like, like what they think of me, the perception of me, but also just like their day, you know, this mm -hmm. moment. Um, I have I have such power over just this little interaction where if I'm a dick right now, like that, they're forever kind of like changed and it doesn't really require me a whole lot. And there's been times in my life, like I think as a teenager growing up, there was times where it was like pretty annoying. Like I never, the acting thing, it wasn't like I ever wanted to be an actor necessarily, but specifically I, I definitely never felt like, oh, I want to be famous. That was a weird, not that I'm super famous, not that I'm Arnold, but I had like a little taste of like what that's like. And, and yeah, just to be nice for 20 minutes really just makes someone's day rather than ruins their day. Cause if you're a dick, then like they're forever like, wow, that guy fucking sucked. And I've had this interaction with this person cause I've watched this movie for so many years. And like when people come up to me with this movie specifically, the relationship is that of a long lost friend from childhood. Cause that's basically what it is. They've spent so much time with me, hours with me thinking about it, you know, really liking me growing to like me so it's always just like yeah they're so stoked to see me i mean you know when i was younger you know girls would be like why don't you like come back to my place and things like that off of like a very brief you know interaction and in my mind i'm like i could be a serial killer i could be you know a complete like sociopath crazy person but because you see me in this movie there is this false sense of like trust luckily i'm a good dude luckily i'm not crazy and i'm just a normal person um but yeah but like that and, and as i've got older and like processed it like it's it is such a cool um relationship that people do feel like so close to me and that i am embedded in in their childhood and their lives in that way i've taken your question and really ran it off the side of the road no but, i loved it yeah, i loved it well i mean it's I was having this conversation with my wife earlier, actually, and I was talking about uh, the how fictional characters can actually mould you uh, in in the same way, and almost in some examples, in like an even more enhanced way than some actual humans can. Again, I'm not saying mm -hmm. that you know, they're more important than like your parents or whatever, but they right. um, but fictional characters can really impact you like that. And there's you know there's a reason that people to this day will put you know, the TV show Friends on in the background and then go and, and sort of do other things because they don't want to feel yeah. alone. They want to feel with their friends, you know, mm -hmm. literally in yeah. the name of the show, etc. And then, so like you said, if they then meet you in real life and you're, you know, yeah, a douchebag to them, then that is not only ruin, yeah, like you said, their whole day, but their whole perception of it, so on and so forth, where yeah. if you're super positive, like, you you have been absolutely outstanding and amazing on this podcast. I really we really appreciate oh, it. You. It makes me even more a fan of you. Like I'm going to go through your whole catalog now and watch it all and be like, well, <laughs> Brandon's my friend. You know, he's seen my <laughs> office. We're we're buddies now. So it's. Um, I think, like you said, treating it with a little bit of uh, grace and humility actually breeds uh, a bigger fan in people. And so it's, especially if you're in show business, that's the sort of air that you breathe really, I guess. To totally. I mean, you know, I don't act anymore and it's not as if I have, you know, a brand that I'm promoting. I'm not, you know, there, there won't be a segment on this show where I tell you about the things that I'm selling. 
you know i i you know i and nothing against the people who do that that's just like not me i mean i i guess i do elopements so yeah if you ever do want to get married or do get married dom and you want to come out to colorado yeah hit me up (laughs) definitely um but beyond that it you know at this point in my life it really does become about connection like it does feed me to a to a large extent and probably larger than i ever thought it definitely feeds the people that are interacting with me like i get to like make people's days which is just so crazy the stranger that i've never met i know nothing about but they have this crazy connection with me and then i just you know um you know on on daily walking down the street or via podcast or sending me a message on dm i get to dip my toe into that too and sharing that connection with them um and so just to be able to affect people's lives positively especially right now like you know, like Disney Plus came out earlier this year and all of a sudden there was a whole bunch of people that wanted to reach out and connect. Because obviously when Johnny Tsunami came out, like the internet wasn't really the internet yet. Social media wasn't really, you know, a thing yet. Um, but then also by extension, this quarantine where everyone is isolated, you know, and watching TV and watching movies. So it's really just kind of spurring even more of that. Um, so it's, I think it's really cool that I get to be a part of um you know people feeling good yeah having the friends they get to connect but also for me in quarantine as well it's super nice to be able to connect with people because i think we're all missing you know just interacting with you know the host at the restaurant or the teller at the bank or whatever the hell that is um so the fact that there's this network of people that i can connect with and that that want to reach out and, and connect with me is just such a cool random ass life thing that has kind of fallen to my lap it's it's great honestly and what's what's really great about it as well is is simon would would probably agree is that the connection between your your character in this film when you're 13 to you now you're you're mm. basically that same person so what simon was saying about you know like meeting your heroes and your hero turns out to be bit of a dud and not what you were expecting and not what you're used to in the films and stuff like that is you seem pretty much exactly like you were in the film that I watched you know <laughs> earlier, earlier today you're you're very respectful you're very calm you it seem very inclusive you want to know about people you're interested about uh, hearing about others and and telling your story as well as hearing their story and um, that's really nice to see and it is great to have someone like yourself on our podcast you know talking about all your experiences and and actually other people that you've you know got involved with and talked to and you know that are reaching out to you and that you're very much you know allowing into your life you know which is great so we we appreciate it so thank you very much thanks man yeah thank you like awesome words i'm glad you guys feel that way um yeah there's definitely been times in my life where i've been uh you know want a little bit more autonomy or a little bit more private um, I mean, even growing up, I always knew that there was kind of a separation between me and me, the actor. Like there was a lot of kids that I knew growing up in acting classes and just auditions were like, I'm an actor. That is who I am. That is my identity. And I always knew that it was like, okay, well, I am Brandon and I have to be an actor. Um, and that distinction was always really important. And there was periods of time where I was like, I really just want to know less people. I want less people to know me. I kind of want to just like keep my head down and like have my own life and, you know, have my own identity and experience things to where people aren't constantly either judging me or have preconceived notions of who I am before I walk into a room. 
Um, but as I've gotten older and as I've had the time to piece together my own sense of self outside of that, it's really allowed me to kind of like open it back up again to where it's like, no, I do want to connect. I do want to reach out. I do want to engage. And luckily now, yeah, I have this great relationship with it too. Um, where it's something that I like really value and I super appreciate because it, it is just so weird. I mean, it's a, it's a really positive thing, but it's just super unique. Um, I think perhaps if, yeah, if I had a brand or if being famous was a thing that was like, important to me, then it would be maybe like a, yeah, duh. Um, but because those two things haven't really mattered to me, um, the connection that has prevailed through all of these years, that's just been super astonishing. So. But do you have, um, do you have like a cameo? You know about cameo? Yeah. So I actually literally just signed up for it last week. So people had been DMing me via Instagram and being like, Hey, do you have a cameo? My husband is going off to fight the fires. He's a big fan. Can you send? And I was like, yeah, I don't have a cameo, but send me your, your cell phone number and I'll, you know, make a video and I'll send it on over to you. And I did that enough times and people were asking me about cameo. And then eventually cameo itself reached out and was like, Hey, you know, a lot of people asking about you. Why don't you just try this? And again, in quarantine, I, I look at my girlfriend, I'm like, I don't know, I, I, look, I guess I'll just give this a shot. If this is the means in which people are connecting and people have been asking me about it, then like, sure, let's give it a shot. I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, and then I, within that first day, I got like 10 to 11 cameo requests. And yeah. it's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. I was explaining to a buddy of mine the other day, I, I think I still in some ways undervalue what that movie means to people and cameo has been one of those things recently that have really shed light on that um because so many people want to connect and have these very personal stories as to what that movie means to them um and yet again it's just super wild and super cool that like people want to connect me in that way and i can make someone's birthday or someone's you know anniversary or someone's going through a hard time right now someone's like you know, kind of depressed. I've, you know, in my own life have like dealt with mental illness either with people around me or, or, you know, me within myself. And I, you know, if I can send a 30 second, you know, 90 second video of me saying go big or go home or, or whatever, you know, just humanizing who I am to connect with someone who I've never met that can influence their day. Like what a privilege, like truly it kind of, you know, like I, I, as I hear myself talking, it might sound like I'm like, full of shit you know or people who would say these things could be full of shit and like i'm just trying to be gracious and likable but truly you know like i am a human you know on this planet with my own existential dreads and and questioning of purposes and you know the ups and downs of of being alive and, and conscious in this time and I know how hard that has sometimes been with me in my own life. So if I can at all influence and just pay that forward, because I know there's been so many people in my life who've helped me get through my hard times. If I can somehow parlay that in any way to help out other people, it's like, I feel like it is, is 100% like my duty to do that. If it costs me a 90 second video, then holy shit, of course. That's really cool. And I, yeah, yeah, I I think cameo is really cool because, um, totally that is what people often want is just a a way to, they just want to interact with their, you know, favorite actor or person that's playing this fictional character, etc. And it can make all of the difference. Like I've got some of them before, like for my wife and for like my, I had 
Um, Michael Rappaport, you know Michael Rappaport? Hell yeah. I, I had him He's do great. like a Father's Day message to my dad and it was so funny because he was sort of like roasting my dad at the same time, but in like a funny way. Yeah, was way. he just basically like, hey, why don't you go fuck yourself? Hey, Simon's dad. <laughs> you fucking suck. I'll fucking kill you in the basketball court. That is pretty much exactly what it was. But it was brilliant. And my dad's face, uh, my dad's a fan and myself, we're a fan of uh, Atypical, Netflix show that he's on. And, Same. you know, it's a great show, right? And so uh, I was going to say, if you're, if you're not on there, you should be. Uh, because like so many people would want to reach out to you. And it must be like crazy that at least every day, multiple times people are watching that movie and are going to, like forever. So, um, yeah. I'll put a link in our uh, podcast description. Even though you don't want to promote it, we're going to promote it for you, uh, and we'll put the we'll put the link to the cameo in there. Um, and then, cool. uh, are we cool to put your like Instagram handle in there as well? Totally. that would be awesome, man. Yeah, I found, you know, that yet again, there's times in my life where I like wanted to be, um, not necessarily private, but I just kind of wanted to have my my own life. I've come around to just like my acting career and just you know life in general i do really love connecting with people and so many beautiful brilliant things have you know butterfly effect fractured out from a litany of of different points of people wanting to connect um i i really do think that um at least what i've arrived at in terms of the purpose of, of why i'm here in this life is is to love as much as possible and to connect. I think it's kind of like inherent in like our biology and where we've come as a species and hopefully where we'll go moving forward. But yeah, that that like everyone's important. The connection, like really like going back to the mental health thing <clears throat> is like the, the lack of connection or the disconnection is where people, you know, really don't do well. Um, and so therefore like connecting and being there for one another is like super important. Um, and via these connections, yeah, via Instagram, I try to check those and like get back to people as much as possible. Sometimes I'm a little like late on that, but I, I, you know, pretty much I can promise you I'll get to them. Um, but, but yeah, like those connections, the random ones that don't go anywhere or the random ones that go, you know, years and I meet someone and then all of a sudden, like 10 years later, we're like still involving each other's lives in some facet, like that's the stuff that really like fills my soul. So totally down for anyone who wants to reach out via cameo. Sure. Or if you just want to like send me a message on Instagram and connect in that way, I'm totally down. That's, that's awesome. And I mean, like we said, the seed is in Dom's head for his upcoming wedding. So that connection is, <laughs> is going to come through at some point. Hit me up, Dom. Absolutely, that's definitely happening. As soon as, <laughs> soon as we're out of lockdown, Dom's going to get the proposal going. <laughs> Great. So in like twenty in twenty thirty one, we could totally get together. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a proposal and two tickets to Colorado if you're still. Right. <laughs> I've got one more question. This hat that yeah. you're wearing, it looks like it's a really good shape, and I struggle with hats. What 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 kind of hat is this? I know it's an LA New Era hat. Is this a snapback? Is this fitted? Fitted. Nice. I've got a pretty big head. Same uh let's see <laughs> seven and a half is what i got going on with with some quarantine hair so it's a little it's a little tight um but i i encounter the same issue where it's like most hats don't look good on me um because my head is so large 
Um, you know, like I frighten small children sometimes, <laughs> you know, just by the size of my head. Um, but then when I do find one that works, then I wear the shit out of it. So I don't have too many, but this is the one that's like, all right, cool. I can like look like a presentable person, though I haven't like washed or bathed in the entirety of quarantine. <laughs> it, it seats you. I, I've uh, yeah, I really like hats, but I, I can't wear them. I've been told I have a moon head, so it's uh... <laughs> small objects orbit it. Got yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been such a pleasure, and we're so grateful for your time. Uh, Dom, do you have do you have any other questions or anything? Uh, just just a massive thank you, and um, like Simon just said, we we really appreciate the time that you've that you've given up to to talk to us. And we we know that lockdown is means that a lot of people have a lot more free time and stuff like that. But it's still, you know, your valuable time. So we really do appreciate it, and we know that people listening to it and the people that have suggested that we cover uh, johnny tsunami will be will be listening so grateful to hear that you're super genuine really nice guy and um all your your fun sort of facts and trivia about the the film as well awesome thanks guys i've, I've actually had, i've had a great time i mean i've i've done a few like interviews and and podcasts never one as in depth or as long as this um and and that's something that i i love like yet again going back to the connecting thing i really like engaging i really like talking hearing conversing um it's really nice to connect with you guys um just in terms of you know a like having not known each other and now i feel like i do kind of know you guys also you we being you know across you know the atlantic that's a cool thing that we're um connecting on as well um but yeah thank you for the kind words i hope everyone listening uh enjoys as well and and moving forward like you know there's any way i can you know be of help or you know somehow my name pops in your head like oh brandon would be cool for this random thing um yeah reach out hit me up and i'd, I'd love to hear from you guys again that that's awesome i mean what what are some of your uh what are some of your favorite 90s movies and perhaps when we cover one of them you can come and co-host with us and we can go through it analytically but i mean also just awesome to to hear what are some of your classic 90s movies yeah um a, I would love to do that. So if there happens to be a film that you would want a, you know, a guest person on to, to pick apart, I'd be super into that. Um, awesome. Yeah, Fight Fight Club was a, was a really big film for me. Um, Mighty Ducks was a really big film for me. Um, I'd say Braveheart in Wayne's World. If I had to put, like, you know, my, like, top four in no particular order, my Mount Rushmore, would be something like that. I mean, Braveheart for the drama i remember like growing up my my papa my grandfather he would take me to all the r-rated movies um without my parents knowing so that was like the first set of boobs i ever saw was like braveheart like put his like hand over my eyes but he also like separated his fingers which is like super cool um yeah wayne's world has definitely influenced a lot of like my sense of of comedy even if i didn't even know what half of the jokes were um yeah between like jessica alba and like tia carrera those are like my two women in my life <laughs> um mighty ducks obviously uh like hockey like that was like super cool and then yeah and then fight club um oh i'd say okay so my top five then would be then fight club would be fourth and then pulp fiction so pulp fiction and fight club um those two kind of just shattered my expectations of what a film could be and that was like one of the those two movies really were like, whoa, I didn't even know a film could do that. I didn't know art could like 
fuck with my head in that way. Um, and those two films, yeah, um, were pretty much the reason I like wanted to go to film school. So there you go. That's that's cool. Pulp Fiction, we're gonna have to cover, and that one, I'll warn you, that'll probably be like a free four hour, like you know, oh, yeah. saga. Totally. So that's all right. Well, this you're hearing it first. We the invitation is gonna come to you when we cover Pulp Fiction. So be ready. Sick. Oh my god! I, I mean, you're gonna ask me how many times I've watched that film. That's like at least over a hundred, maybe like two hundred. Like that's the one. Wow. I don't put friends on. You know, when I'm like cleaning up the house, but I'll just put on Pulp Fiction. Um, just even the way in which they tell the narrative, you know, the jumping back and forth. You can just jump in for one scene and then jump out like, oh, I'm going to watch Marvin get his face blown off real quick. Or, <laughs> or you know, uh, Uma Thurman and John Travolta are dancing. Cool. I will chill out for 10 minutes and watch this and then go back to like, you know, cleaning the sink or whatever. All I want to do is talk about Pulp Fiction now. I was taking everything I can to not talk about it. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, I'm I'm so down. Like, send me that invitation on there. Ah, awesome. Thank you. Well, yes. 100% thank- happening. Yes. Cool. And thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Uh, Dom and I are going to be straight on to the sequel of uh, Johnny Tsunami that doesn't involve the word Tsunami. <laughs> Um, and so yeah we'll put all the links to, to the stuff even though you don't want us to to Cameo and to <laughs> Instagram and stuff in the description and yeah uh, you awesome. know hopefully everything around the world but obviously where you are as well uh, though you are in the world that was dumb you know what I mean that Covid <laughs> is a thing of the past and everyone's safe totally. there and you stay safe and yeah thank you so much for your time of course same back to you guys take care all the best yeah we'll speak to you soon thank you Brandon all right, brother. See you guys. Thanks. Have a good one. So thank you very much to Brandon Baker. He was an amazing guest. He was very gracious with his time and Dom and I are, are so grateful to him. Please, if you enjoyed the podcast, take a minute to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second to just open that podcast app. Give us five stars if you liked it. If you didn't like it, then please just, you know, do nothing. Just you know, help us with our rating by not, you know, demolishing our rating. If you also, if you really liked it, please leave us a review and we'll even read it out on the podcast. You can follow us on social media, Dom. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at the Mighty 90s. We've got a great page on there um, with a lot of other podcasts and Instagram pages liking us and sharing our message as well. So give it, give it a look. Excellent. And uh, hit us up at our website, themightynights.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Show me the honey. Steam on Billy. Doot, doot. Don't want to raise your kids. I don't even like kids. His name is Robert Paulson. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm going to show you God does exist. I am invincible. Go, baby, go. Once again. I see pride. Junior. I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. That's right. right. There's not a man today who could take me away from my God. You good looking. You're hot. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. And I don't think they give him for surfing the internet. <laughs> <laughs>